This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117, with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 84 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, May 30th, 2021. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we take a look at not one, but two first-person action games set to make their debut at the end of this year and make the end of this year that much cooler. Xbox has revealed an E3 date with some incredible artwork that is quite the tease in the background there. And in the back half of this episode, we have an interview with the makers of this bullet-time third-person parkouring Robin Hood crossbow simulator, Sherwood Extreme. Whew. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I want to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness go to listener Dano. Now, Dano frequents many an Xbox and gaming community. I see him writing into all types of shows, and he never misses a week writing in here. Moreover, if I'm watching a friend of mine within my gaming uh, community stream, he's in there, he's rocking it, he's one of the best Halo players I've ever seen, and it's not even fair or even close but uh, really and truly it's people like Dano that are the lifeblood to podcasts like this and I wanted you to know Dan that I see you out there bringing joy and happiness to so many people it is appreciated it is noted uh, and I hope you know how important it is to myself and to many other creators Uh, and really and truly man thank you from the bottom of my heart it's awesome to see you out there and about and always uh, being able to rely on you supporting this show as well so cheers man thanks it is finally that time of year the e3 season is upon us and you could make a steady case to say that it's already started that game showcase of madness with the announcements of dying light 2 and far cry 6 and we'll talk about those just a little bit later in the show but it was the reveal of the xbox bethesda showcase date that got me just absolutely pumped and really clicked over in my mind that we would be seeing some of the best of the best that gaming has to offer couple the announcement of the date from xbox with the state of play from PlayStation showing off Horizon Forbidden West and it was just it was it was this incredibly euphoric feeling of just what this new generation of games will truly bring us. Uh, it's very much felt like we've had a staggered launch into this current gen as the hardware released but most of the games were delayed and the next gen patches are, are slowly arriving, really buffing up and, and giving incredible glow ups to a lot of games um, from Fortnite to Avengers and that's right, Avengers is on my mind. I can talk about that later in the show too. Uh, I got a lot of thoughts right now but uh really and truly it feels like this current gen has been kind of stuttering out of the gate because of all the things to go on with the pandemic but with the announcement that the xbox bethesda showcase would be taking place on sunday june 13th at 10 a.m pacific that's 12 uh or no pardon me that's 1 p.m Eastern, uh, it, it just it really clicked over in my mind that we were going to see uh, games from some of the best studios in the world kick off in that stream there, uh, and, and then who knows what's to come in the Summer Game Fest and the rest of the E3 showcases as well. Uh, but I, I'm just thrilled. We knew that Xbox Game Studios would be coupled with Bethesda, and there's a weird terminology that goes with that because Bethesda is under that XGS uh, umbrella, as it were, with Zenimax. But you know, they think they're trying to be respectful there and capitalize on the brand name recognition of Bethesda. Uh, as it would looks like it's going to be a 90 minute showcase which is interesting i'm going to read uh, straight off of xbox wire for just a moment it says quote you've told us how excited you are about welcoming bethesda into the xbox family so we know you're going to want a front row seat to the xbox and bethesda showcase a 90 minute show 
packed with everything you want to know about the Epic Gaming lineup coming out of his this partnership, the incredible games coming to Xbox this holiday, upcoming releases on Xbox Game Pass, and more, end quote. I am thrilled. I like the way they're approaching this news with Bethesda because in my mind, uh, I I just think of Bethesda now as Xbox, right? Maybe, But I think I'm too forward-thinking on that, and really and truly there's a lot of recognition to be had with Bethesda games. And again, they've had their own E3 show for the past few years. The interesting uh, element to this is that it's a 90-minute show, 90 minutes for Xbox and Bethesda, and that is an interesting number because I would have thought it'd be more. Bethesda's filled up hours on their own with their own showcases in years past. Xbox has done the same. I think it is smart in many ways to have a concise show packed with big gaming news, uh, games of all sizes from indie to AAA as well. Moreover, I think this shorting, this shorter runtime for such a theoretically big showcase might bode well for future gaming announcements throughout the rest of this year and through the rest of the E3 season. Again, they've got to fill time in the E3 showcases. They've got to recognize some things happening out of the Summer Game Fest. They want to be everywhere and anywhere they can to get that the name Xbox uh, in good standing and in as many places as possible, for sure. But it still feels like a bit of a short showcase in terms of the gravity of the names of Xbox Game Studios and Bethesda. Now, that very same point said, I don't know that I would want longer than 90 minutes to watch a showcase. I think there's some good lessons learned out of that Twitch gaming thing that Xbox was partnered with a few weeks back, a few months back, I guess, at this point. Um, It was just too long, right? And there's something to be said for being very concise. Uh, And I would note that in that same mindset, the PlayStation State of Play on Horizon Forbidden West was absolutely jaw-dropping and stunning, and you should do yourself a favor if you haven't already. Go watch that footage of Horizon Forbidden West to really get a good idea of just what this new generation of games can do. There's a lot to be excited about with the animations and the colors there. Uh, it was on par in my mind with the color displays of like Gears Hivebusters on Series X, uh, and it just oh, it gets me thrilled, and I'm so stoked. But my point in bringing that up is that was a state of play focused on one game for about 15, 20 minutes. And that's that's wild to me, right? Like that's a a quick runtime, but at the same time, it flew by. So I'm very curious to know how we consume this Xbox Bethesda showcase. Um, I believe I've heard, I believe I've heard that it is not a live presentation, like it will be pre-recorded, but I need to double check on that, and I should have done that before I recorded this show, but at this point, I'm just going to roll through with it. Um, to make the overall point that I like a lot of the live things that Xbox does, however, when it comes to the gravity of announcements and things like this, uh, I'm not as much of a fan of it. I think over time, I've found that I love inside Xbox for deep dives on things and being live. But in showcases like this, big things where the eyes of the world are consistently on you in a magnified way, pre-recorded, better produced is the right way to go. Um, Certainly there's a lot of leaks coming out here and there, a lot of rumor mill stuff happening, and uh, I've really kind of had it, if I'm being honest, with with some of the silly season of rumor mill, uh, with the extensive need for for leaks left and right for certain games and certain things. Maybe, maybe that's due to just kind of my mentality of winding down from a stressful year of teaching and things like that. But I just don't have the energy to care about some of the things, uh, knowing full well that they'll be announced proper uh, in some ways. Now, that said, if anyone drops a leak on Gotham Knights, I'm there, right? So maybe I'm just being a hypocrite, right? (laughs) Like, maybe that's just me being silly. Oh, man. Uh, I sort of went down a rabbit hole on that one. Let me get back on track here. This Xbox Bethesda showcase, one of the things I really liked about it was the key art that they had going up, and it'll be in the social tweet uh, for this particular episode, but it was a brilliant image that combined the members of Noble Team with a static image of what looked like it would have been uh, Reach from Halo with the planet from Starfield and a brilliant blending and merging of the two properties and a few other little Easter eggy things in there. Seeing the members of Noble Team be part of an announcement was really thrilling to me and it made me ponder and wonder at just why they would include Noble instead of Master Chief. Of course, I love Noble Team. Halo Reach is one of the coolest and best Halo games out there. I love Carter from that team, but they had June, they had Emil. Uh, and if you don't know Halo Reach, these are just really iconic characters for the Halo franchise. Um, and I think it's fair to say that those 
those Spartans really stand out amongst the pantheon of Spartans that the extended universe has given us. Uh, beyond Master Chief, Noble Team are the next step in, in recognizable Spartans in that franchise. To any casual observer who doesn't know that, you got some pretty cool looking Spartans there, and I think it opens up the, the doorway to a lot of questions to be asked as to how they would factor in, why would they would choose Noble Team, uh, given that Reach was destroyed way, way, way back in the Halo lore before uh, even Halo 1 took place, uh, which is some pretty cool stuff there. I'll take you down that rabbit hole, but it's pretty dope. Nonetheless, uh, to have the image of, of what Starfield's planet could be and the idea that we might be getting some information finally on Starfield is very encouraging, particularly because at this moment we know nothing about it and everybody's doing that same rumor mill thing that I was complaining about. Uh, perhaps that that's how I got onto this particular topic. Um, it'll be nice to get some concrete evidence and concrete news. Um, and my hope, my hope is that we get some release dates, as it were. Now, we'll talk later on in this episode about Dying Light 2 and Far Cry 6 and their respective release dates, which I think are, are pretty darn solid, all things considered. Um, that said, we did not, in the PlayStation state of play, hear about the date for Horizon Zero Horizon Forbidden West, I should say. Horizon Zero Dawn 2? Uh, and I bring that up relevantly because uh, right now... It, all signs point to a, a new Switch being on the horizon. Production things have come out on that. Look at me talking about leaks again. God, I hate my... Ooh, I'm a hypocrite this, this episode. But all signs point to a new Switch, but really Breath of the Wild 2 being this year. We know Halo is this year. Uh, we've already got the, the first slew of AAA games that are going to be coming out. It, it looks like Battlefield 6 and Call of Duty will also stand tall in this, this holiday season. So... It's a crowded time, and perhaps everyone's trying to avoid Breath of the Wild because that will likely dominate the showcases uh, all around the fall this time, this time around. That said, uh, tangentially speaking, I don't think Halo and Horizon should be compared, though I know that they will be in terms of sales and reach and whatnot. Um, but they're two very different types of games going for very different things. Moreover, one's going to have a free-to-play multiplayer element. Uh, aside, it's single-player and multiplayer co-op campaign. Um, that said, Horizon Forbidden West is absolutely a single-player experience, right? So apples and oranges to a, a different extent. Uh, there, I would hope that they are working hard to respect the release dates of one another and try to avoid destroying gamers' wallets and making gamers choose. That is another joy of Xbox Game Pass, to be sure. Uh, that will ease the burden. The free multiplayer and Xbox Game Pass will ease the burden on some people this holiday, and I hope everyone's making uh, an attempt to prepare for that appropriately. Uh, but nonetheless, the reason I say all this is release dates will be a very important factor going forward when you've got heavy hitters from Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft all rolling out into the holiday. And so I would guess that we find out a definitive Halo date. Horizon Forbidden West holds off on giving a date until the Breath of the Wild 2 date uh, goes forward. Uh, because those, that, those two games competed unnecessarily back when they first came out, and one seemed to jade the other. Uh, and I think Horizon Zero Dawn got, got the short end of the stick on that one. Uh, that said, you know, who, know, who knows what will happen. Um, other Xbox news that kind of rolled out in the same window of time was the much smaller news of the games with gold for June, and they were what they were. Uh, the Kingsburg was coming out, uh, and as is Shadows Awakening, those two are going to be included in uh, games with gold for this upcoming month. I'm unfamiliar with uh, either to be honest with you, on the Xbox 360 side, Neo Geo Battle Coliseum and Injustice Gods Among Us. And I will tell you, Injustice Gods Among Us, fantastic story mode. Of course, I'm a DC fan. I'm also, I enjoy NetherRealm's work there. I think we talked about them on last week's episode. Um, if you've not treated yourself to the Injustice games, throw that mess on easy. Uh, you should know that if you if you get beat by a fighter, the game will automatically reduce the difficulty as well. But play through that story. If you're a fan of the old Batman animated series uh, or Justice League, Justice League Unlimited shows, um, it's a really natural extension of those, and I think you might enjoy it. A lot of the voiceovers are the same as well. That's it for specific Xbox news. Let's get to Dying Light. <laughs> Techland made headlines this past week as they premiered their new gameplay trailer showing off the current state of Dying Light 2. Of course, Dying Light 2, uh, long delayed. We last saw it a few years ago, and we had to wonder just what was happening with it. Well, it looks like Dying Light 2's official name is going to be Dying Light 2, Stay Human. 
uh, and it will be released on December 7th for PS4, PS5, Series S and X, and Xbox One alongside PC. And really and truly, that gameplay trailer absolutely impressed. Now, I abstained from Dying Light when it first came out. It didn't really click with me. I wasn't overly thrilled by it. Uh, sometimes we just miss certain games, and I've talked about that before on this show for sure. Um, but I can tell you with all confidence that watching the Dying Light 2 gameplay premiere and just seeing the incredible things they're doing with that world, the horror elements combined with first-person traversal, which I am usually not thrilled by. I usually don't want to play first-person traversal. In fact, even that's what bothered me about games like Destiny uh, and, and some of the, the platforming in Halo even. Um, that said, it just looks so cool as your character. Uh, is Aiden Caldwell is his name, and he is this incredibly athletic parkour kid who's running around this zombie-filled world that is many years after Dying Light 1 and after the, the apocalypse, and you're just you're rocking it. You're, you're jumping, hopping from building to building. You're wall running. You're uh, grabbing onto things. You're taking control of weapons and fighting zombies and humans. There are these factions all over the place. Uh, a really cool post-apocalyptic world. And in seeing the gameplay trailer for Dying Light 2, I got roped in due to my good friend Suddy, who I'm still mad at for a thousand reasons, mainly the Vault Boy jokes. Uh, you suck, Suddy. Um, seeing that... They announced the Dying Light 1 Platinum Edition or whatever, which is like a $100 thing that they had on sale for 25 bucks for a limited amount of time. And so with, with the uh, the appeal of Dying Light 2 and the the motivation from Suddy and several friends to play four and five player uh, co-op together, I was like, sure, why not? 25 bucks, I'll check out the first Dying Light finally. I know there's other editions out there. You can probably pick up the game pretty cheap digitally or physically in, in various combinations because it's been re-released a bunch of times but i went ahead i pulled the trigger and i am i'm all about it i really am i just think i'm like all right let's check this thing out i added dying light one to my summer gameplay list alongside mass effects one through three biomutant uh now dying light and a few others uh so i'm really interested to see just how it goes uh, this whole day night cycle is going to be really neat to finally play and experience myself i think a lot of people talk about how just intense the night cycle with those zombies can be and in in dying light 2's trailer you saw all these crazy npcs that you could melee you could use different types of guns you could craft different types of weapons uh, i'm really curious to just kind of watch the evolution of this experience and something i consistently reference on this show is the ability to play compilations of series of games from shovel knight and mass effect uh, through to goodness gracious, there, there's all these others, uh, you know, like the the Tomb Raider collection or, or Hitman's one through three, even the Master Chief collection or Arkham collection. I like the idea that you can get a, all these games into one big package while having the Platinum Edition of Dying Light one and then prepping right into two kind of feels like that in some ways. Uh, and I saw a lot of bundles recently of Resident Evil seven and eight bumped together uh, for a really fair price. Uh, I love that. I love the idea that you can do that. I hope I see Resident Evil's 2 and 3 remakes kind of available as well. It's cool when you can experience something start to finish, as it were. Nonetheless, Techland really got me on board for Dying Light 2, having missed out on 1. Uh, impressed with what it is they're, they're trying to do with that. Uh, and I hope it delivers on its promise, because I'm, I'm stoked based on that trailer. Well, first-person action was the name of the game this past week as we saw Far Cry 6 also be revealed with its release date. Whereas Dying Light was coming out in December, it looks like Far Cry is avoiding November with an October 7th release date. And remember, this game was supposed to come out a few months ago. They pushed it back into October, which I am thrilled by. Ubisoft made a cardinal sin of putting three big games together with Assassin's Creed, uh, Immortals, and Watch Dogs Legion all together. And that's really hard on players, I think, that want to experience multiple things as well. Of course, Ubisoft games are known to be going on sale often and have long legs in terms of different ways that they accumulate their money, plus DLC packages. That said, it would have been ludicrous to have Far Cry 6 as quickly as they initially wanted it to, and I hope Ubisoft's learning a lesson as far as spreading out their release dates. In the delay, if that is a fair thing to call it, to October 7th, we're seeing uh, what is going to be... Really just incredible visuals. Watching the trailer and the gameplay of Far Cry 6 was stunning. 
stunning, and I mean stunning in terms of visuals and sound. Popping headphones on, watching the beautiful graphics that were going about there, the design of, of the weapons and the, the glean of, of light off of them, hearing the reload sounds of the guns uh, was just nuts. Now, let, let's, let's back up a little bit. Far Cry 7, you are on an island. Far Cry 7, pardon me. Far Cry 6, you're on an island. You're you're play, facing off against some fascist dictator, Anton Castillo. My words are failing me. Anton Castillo, and that's played by Giancarlo Esposito, a very incredible actor there. But we're on an island taking on a fascist dictator, and we are going to have weapons that we can craft. We're going to have animals all over the place. We're going to be liberating places. We're going to be a revolutionary fighter. This could be Far Cry 3, or 4, or 5, right? Like having this this special area against a big old dictator, clearing out areas. So when I say that nothing about this uh, trailer was new or wowed me in that sense, I 100% mean it. Everything looked amazing, but it looked like more of the same. I think it looks like next-gen or now current-gen Far Cry. That's going to be thrilling to some people. It's going to be disappointing for others. I was rather lukewarm on it, if I could be fair, because I was so impressed by potential gameplay opportunities, but I've been fooled before, particularly when it comes to Far Cry. Far Cry 5 really disappointed me. It was the drug trips that kept consistently taking me out of the experience. Um, but the idea that you're you're on an, essentially you're a guerrilla fighter going through and rallying people is cool. I like that idea, and I know that I'm going to play Far Cry 6 at some point. I just don't know that I'm thrilled to do so right away. Now, it's October 7th when it comes out. The bigger games that we're, that I'm expecting to be into are November, uh, November-based November most likely, so maybe it's the perfect release date. Maybe that's what I'm super into. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there, uh, but it looks like you're playing as a female protagonist, Danny, and she looks awesome. She sounds awesome. Uh, the reveal trailer was full of cussing and ludicrous things, uh, which could make or break some people for sure. Seeing the animals on display, I don't know that I'm as thrilled with the animals as anyone else's. I wasn't overly thrilled by the bear and the dog and everything that was t- that were in um, Far Cry 5, but overall, I didn't like Far Cry 5, like reflectively. Uh, the gameplay was great, but again, it just didn't get me. What was weird that came out about this, or it kind of made headlines, was that clearly this game is taking inspiration from Cuban guerrilla fighters from the 1950s and 60s. Clearly, like it's even documented in a couple different places. But the the director, the narrative director, I should say, Naveed Kavari, uh, has gone on to make statements during interviews with the gamer saying that uh, they're, they're not making a political statement about what's happening in Cuba with their game. And... I don't know. I think, I think hearing people that that make the comment, "I'll oh, keep politics out of games," that's just ludicrous. Because half the games we play are based on war or factions or ideals uh, and struggle and strife in one way or another. And so the idea of keeping politics out of games is silly, right? Even into Call of Duty, those are are absolutely political games. Now, what you get out of those experiences may not be, but I mean, who's to say that's a bad thing to have that in a narrative element? What I don't like is when something's clearly inspired by very important political events in history and then pretending that they're not relevant, right? Like, that's just odd to me. Um, there was a quote that he gave to you, to the gamer uh, that says, quote, The original inspiration was guerrilla warfare, and what what is that guerrilla warfare fantasy, which is obviously tied to revolution? When you talk about guerrillas, you think about the guerrillas of the 1950s and 60s, and what we went actually went down there to speak to the actual guerrilla fighters back then, and we really just fell in love with their stories. End quote. It is ridiculous to pretend that that's not political. It's just ridiculous. They're guerrilla fighters. They are small groups of revolutionaries who are battling against corrupt governments, oppressive governments. That's political. Uh, everything in Call of Duty that you ever played, political. Ghost Recon, political. It's it's just nuts, right? Like it, it, I don't know. It just it boggled my mind. It's a silly story, and it will not impact me one way or another picking up the, the game, nor will it impact most people. Far Cry 6 is going to sell bonkers. The game looks and sounds insanely good. But, like, why pretend? Why pretend? I don't know. It's just dumb it's it's just ridiculous to me um one of the cool things that stood out in the trailer by the way the make your own weapons or the customized weapon uh weapon and uh goodness gracious vehicles so stoked so stoked on that stuff some of them just look 
nuts and wild and cool. Uh, Far Cry 6 absolutely shaping up to be a really cool experience. Love some of the new abilities they're adding in, but I don't see a lot of new gameplay that's going to be taking place there. Uh, so more more to come over this this summer for sure. Uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Take a brief moment before we get to listener mail here. I had a few people kind of double down and follow back on some comments I made in the last episode where I said that I was playing Marvel's Avengers. Uh, And I am. I'm playing that rather extensively lately. Uh, And it surprises even me. Uh, I've been really thrilled with the the now current gen, the Series S and X glow up that it got. Had a lot of UI fixes here and there. Um, And, you know, my good buddy Suddy and a few others were asking me, like, you know, why are you into this game? I thought you were jaded and frustrated with it. Certainly was, certainly am. That game consistently has a lot of issues, but it's a thousand times better than it was at launch. And if you're a a superhero fan, there's a really fun single-player story to be had there. And if you see it for 20, 25 bucks, you should absolutely dive in and get it. All the problems that people have noted with Marvel's Avengers are still there, uh, but the long loading times are not there. The gameplay is still really fun. The visuals look really great. Um, there's a lot of new content on the way, which I would have not thought they'd make it this far. Really and truly, I thought the game would be canceled. Um, but I've enjoyed just kind of turning my brain off, if I'm being honest, just button mashing my way through challenges and dailies uh, because it's a game as a service, right? So you have dailies and weeklies, that kind of stuff. And it's very imperfect, but I like seeing my Avengers characters, and I like playing through and just being mindless, if that makes sense, uh, to anybody out there. I just like superheroes, right? But I would never argue that it's a good game. Uh, Let me rephrase that. It is a decent game. It's not great uh, by any means. A lot of problems with it. But the potential is more there than ever with the, the fixes that it's had. Now, their community management, atrocious, and it's not the community managers, directors. The higher-ups inside Square Enix are just making some bafflingly silly decisions. Really cool to see the MCU skins in there, but the prices are weird, uh, and the the rollout of certain content that was glitched and then not refunding players. It's just like little odd stuff. So it's certainly a flawed and fractured experience, but I'm having a lot of fun with it which is uh, something that I think we forget to do with video games out there. I've often gone on note to say that I like AA games. I like games that are imperfect plenty of times. I don't need a game to be a perfect 10 to play it. I don't necessarily subscribe to that mentality. Um, And you should have fun where you have it, regardless of what kind of game it is. And that goes for anybody out there that likes a game and that people dislike uh, or people give them flack for it. That's a silly thing to get mad at somebody for liking a game. Um, this, this, This game just appeals to my anthem this right i'm flying around as iron man i'm getting to be captain america i'm I'm, hawkeye is fantastic by the way they've done some good stuff with downloadable characters and i I won't spend too much time more there on that game a lot of flaws a lot of issues in in the way they're delivering content but uh there's a lot of game there which is kind of cool and it's a nice break from having to think right like you need to focus when you play mass effect you need to focus when you play biomutant and you gotta focus with with avengers that's for sure Hello, Two Forks Tower. This is Sissy Jones, voice of Delilah from Firewatch, and you are listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Uh, Also, um, you didn't really name the turtle Shelly, did you? All right, let's get to it. Listener mail, and then we'll pack up and get on out of here, heading over to our interview. This first question comes from Todd Oxtra. He says, can we expect Xbox to pursue remix of their first-gen titles? We've seen great results with Resident Evil 2 and 3, Shadow of the Colossus, etc. I think Morrowind would be a perfect candidate as it's not aged well and the next Elder Scrolls game is years away. Todd, I think you absolutely can expect to see remasters or remakes, rather, remakes to be clear, of a lot of first-gen Xbox games uh, where they can get them, right? Now, you got to be cautious with this because remakes and remasters are different things. We recently saw the release of Stubbs the Zombie. Played through that game. Really kind of cool to play through that, by the way, and see the Halo in one engine at work. It, you could feel it and you could see it. Um, but... Yeah, that game was not good. Right? It is not a good game. Did not enjoy past a, a, a couple hours of just kind of seeing this nostalgic trip. So, are there a lot of good original Xbox games that, that, that are worthy of a remake? Of a full remake? I think Morrowind's a good candidate, but what else could be in there? And this is me asking the audience. I was not an original Xbox player. Most of my time there was spent Dreamcast, PS2, and, and GameCube. 
So what specific games would you guys have in mind for a full-on remake? I hear the words Jade Empire a lot. I hear the words uh, Crimson Skies a lot as far as like being brought up. But are, are, is that worth a studio's time to do? Todd, if there is going to be a remake of an original Xbox title, I think you're, one, I think you're right to think that we will see them. I do think that's going to happen. I just don't know what they would be. But my hope is they would not be the primary team from Microsoft, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't want it to be uh, somebody that would occupy, say, and this is just a random choice, but like the next Gears of War game. I wouldn't want them sacrificing a team like that to do something in that case. Uh, but hiring out another studio or working with another second party type approach, uh, I'd be down with that for sure. I think it's important to capitalize on nostalgia, but the primary focus for, for Microsoft and Xbox should be building forward. They have built their legacy through back compat, not remakes. Uh, and I think their strategy going forward will be mostly new stuff with an occasional remake. But Morrowind's a good idea. I don't know who'd make it or remake it, uh, because it's certainly, I don't think uh, Bethesda's got the attention there right now. But it's it's a good idea, and I'm curious what the rest of you guys think. Tweet me, at Ghost. Eaton Ruby writes in, and he says, With the recent launch of Knockout City, which is a free until level 25 and free on Game Pass, EA has shown that they are following Xbox's business model. Will this try-before-you-buy model replace a freemium new game series? Um, I know what you're asking here, Eaton, and I get it, and I think so. Yeah, in many cases, yes. I think uh, EA specifically learned some things with their rollout of Rocket Arena, which is almost... It's, they're almost the same game. If you played Rocket Arena, you've almost played Knockout City and vice versa, and they both have their own quirks and, and benefits and drawbacks, right? Um, but if they had rolled Rocket Arena out the way they did Knockout City, Rocket Arena would be doing better, really and truly. It'd be, it would be doing better than it is. Uh, but they had this weird like pay, but then it's free, but then it's not. Just this odd thing. By the same token, Knockout City is hitting at a time where there's not a whole lot else to play in the multiplayer space, kind of having that Fall Guys effect, and it's got great crossplay, and it's available everywhere with this almost free approach. So I think it's kind of a perfect storm for Knockout City to be successful, but I don't think you're going to be hearing much about Knockout City in a month. I don't think that's game. that game has legs. I will gladly uh, take the L, as the youth say, and be wrong on that, right? Like, I never root against a game, so I would very much hope that it's... We're still hearing about it. Um, but I would hope EA and many others have learning from this approach of giving the game that is based in a multiplayer experience where you require a community, give it to as many people as possible, incentivize them to go in on it, Game Pass, um, perks, bonuses, PS Plus packs, right? PlayStation does a good job of that. Game Pass does a good job of that. Th there would be... The idea that you, you build that community early and then make your money in other ways, battle passes and the like. Uh, we'll see, but I absolutely think this is a newer, not a newer trend, but a trend that's being refined with games like Knockout City, uh, building on the, the, the lessons learned from games like Rocket Arena. We'll see. Last question for this week comes from Dano, and it's a simple one. He says, which LEGO game series is your favorite? Uh, once again, Dan... Shout out at the beginning of the episode. Shout out towards the end of the episode for sure. Uh, you're too good at Halo, man. You got to knock it off. Uh, I really love a lot of LEGO games for sure. Now, I would say I've kind of faded off of them. The most recent one, I think, was Force Awakens. Really liked that one. Really looking forward to Skywalker Saga for sure. Uh, I also, just because the timing that it hit and, and, and how there was nothing else, Avengers at the time, really liked LEGO Avengers, uh, hearing the characters and the voiceovers there. Um, but I've, I loved Lego Marvel, Lego DC 2 and 3, did not like Lego Batman 1. I guess it was Lego Batman's 2 and 3, but technically Lego DC, right? Did not play Lego DC Villains. Did I have it, haven't played through it. You gotta be in the right mood for a, a Lego game for sure, but those, they're so, so great for families or if you just want to escape into a silly world. Again, I kind of go back to the idea of just turning your brain off. Sometimes it's just nice to do that, and a Lego game can be great for just going through um, some of my best memories of Lego games are actually uh, the first Lego Star Wars, where you played through the original trilogy. I adored that game. I could not believe it was happening. Um, maybe it was the, was it the prequel? It was like you know it was the prequels. It was the prequels. I adored that game. Just just playing through it and and having a good old time there. And then the subsequent uh, releases of Lego Star Wars two and three, and then blah blah blah. Uh, really liked really liked those games, man. It's just neat to see them reimagined. Uh, as it were, and I'm stoked to see what Skywalker Saga does, right? Like, there's just a lot to be 
uh, explored with that kind of a, a genre, as it were. And, and also, let's take a moment and shout out uh, Lego Forza. It had no right to be as good as it was, but it was so good, so good. Alrighty, guys, let's wrap up this portion of the episode there. Really appreciate you guys listening each week. Thank you to all of you that took the time to go and review XEP over on iTunes. I hope that you are enjoying this kind of early getting into E3 hype. Of course, we have a new episode of Cast Co-op coming out. And now that school has wound down and I can kind of mentally collect myself, I'm hoping to appear on more shows. Uh, A lot of people have been so kind to reach out and ask if I would guest on shows. I'm now available to do that once again. Uh, So if you have something that you love an Xbox insight on, I would love to join you guys. Appreciate so many of you out there for uh, the various requests, and that that makes me feel good. So thanks for that. Uh, I'm going to kick you guys over now to an interview with the developers of a game called Sherwood Extreme. Now, this game is absolutely nuts, and I will go on to describe it during the course of the interview. But I want to take a minute and thank uh, Solar and Gabe for joining me. These guys were just the coolest. I mean, I mean, working 10 years uh, together in the gaming industry out of high school, I believe, uh, all over the place from, from a really cool traveling the world story embedded in there. One of them worked on God of War. I mean, it, it's just these guys are awesome. It was really cool. And their game uh, would never be one that I was interested in until I saw a GIF of it, found that it was coming to consoles in the in. Uh, quarter four of this year and I was like yo I got to talk to these guys so I hope you enjoyed the interview Uh, it's a fun chat I appreciate those of you guys that are into the interviews and check them out Uh, and if they're not for you no worries man you guys are awesome have a wonderful rest of your week take care I am very fortunate now to be joined by two gentlemen working on the upcoming game, Sherwood Extreme, Salar Kohari, co-founder and game director for Cage Studios, and Gabe Longlois. Uh, Longlois, oh, I messed it up right there, Gabe, co-founder and lead developer of Sherwood Extreme. Uh, gentlemen, thank you both for joining me today. Thank you. Nice it's to our meet pleasure. You. I gave I'll tell you right now after practicing the name ahead of time I'm so embarrassed I butchered it right off the bat <laughs> no worries hey well the fact that you care care this much uh, is it warms my heart no matter how you pronounce it so <laughs> well we've got you guys here to discuss your video game Sherwood Extreme which is a free-to-play crossbow shooter with bullet time and co-op action it just released at the time of this recording onto steam roughly a week ago set for xbox console release in quarter four of this year guys sherwood extreme looks it looks nuts it looks weird quirky and like it would be an absolute blast where in the world did you get this idea (laughs) uh i can thank you very much Uh, i can take this one um so it, it was kind of a mixture of different ideas that we've had. Like uh, after launching our last game a couple of years ago, Gabriel and I were prototyping various titles. And one that really uh, we committed to was this idea of like Robin Hood and putting this crazy chaotic twist on it um, mm-hmm. to create this like really high speed, slow motion parkour archery type game that was different from what you usually see as Robin Hood, which might be like more gritty or um, or noble. And this is kind of just... Uh, in order to make you feel like a badass with the high speed action to really um, take an in- indie game, which sometimes people take a while to get into and just make this snappy gameplay that really gets you hooked right away. That's that's nuts. It's nuts. As, as <laughs> soon as I saw the trailer for it, I knew I was in uh, and super excited to see what was happening with it. Uh, slow motion bullet time to me is just one of the coolest features for a video game. And you guys have done uh, something special by adding the cross crossbow elements to it. Uh, I see all types of level traversal. You're on zip lines. You're hopping around. Uh, tell me, when it comes to creating a game for bullet time, what goes into developing that you know in racing games you make kinetic kinetic lines and and layout tracks but for a bullet time platformer like this what's going on yeah in terms of developing something that can be played both at normal speed and in slow motion at any given moment means especially in multiplayer means that there's a lot of rules that you need to bend um Mm -hmm. when it comes to trying to simulate you know time um and so one, one of the things we do that's pretty interesting um, is in co-op, it's your individual 
kind of rate of time um, is unique or is independent rather from the other players mm-hmm. and certain things overlap and certain things don't. And that's kind of where a lot of iteration and design comes into play in terms of making sure that, you know, your arrows are going at the speed you expect them to when you are in slow motion, mm-hmm. but doesn't affect other things that shouldn't be slowed down because you're not both slow mowing or, you know, one other player is doing it while it's not you. Um, so it, it's an interesting challenge to basically slow time for one player and not the other while mm-hmm. maintaining the entire game in sync all at once without, you know, having things just go at different rates of, of time completely. Yeah, and, and, and to add to that, um, in terms of, like, the flow, there's there's kind of two components, the way I see it, um, that w- works for single player and co-op, which is, one, the level design aspect. And that's the things where, like, like Gabriel has said, at any time you could swap into slow motion. You want to be in this like moment that feels really good for you to be in slow motion, whether you're ziplining and that just naturally lends itself to slow motion or flipping through the air or swinging on a rope. And we try to keep everything one after another, the things that you might be doing while you're slow motion, slowing time to give it that sense of snappiness. And the other aspect uh, from the level design is also just the player controls. So you want the player to be able to do be doing parkour and and sliding and shield charging and different things while you're doing uh, slow motion so that it uh, lends itself to that uh, player authority that makes it feel like you're the one in control of that. There, there are so many things to touch on with what you guys just elaborated with. Uh, in regards to the to the the slow motion, but allowing kind of that empowerment and the world still to exist in a co-op, does that mean there's like bubbles of slow and bubbles of fast? Or is that just a very amateur uh, thought process that I have? Basically, think of it this way. Instead of everything kind of being on one t- one timeline for you mm-hmm. know, how, how quickly time is moving, every object or interactive element in our game is kind of running on its own little parallel timeline. Um, and we'll speed up most things, but not certain things. And it really depends on if both players are slow mowing, if one of them is slow mowing, or if neither of them are slow mowing. Yeah, and and it is kind of like a, a time bubble. I would say it's more of like a a time beam that's coming out from the player. So like it's kind of based off of where the players are looking and aiming, as well as who's attacking them. So like even if someone's attacking me from behind, if I'm slowing time, that arrow will also be slowed because it's in my time space. So it's kind of this like complex interaction, but everything is on its own timeline. It sounds like you would have a very complex formula to, to make that work and make it work well. How long have you guys been working on getting the, the, the physics of that correct? Basically, ever since we've started development. I mean, you're, you're <laughs> right. It's We're combining physics, time, and the manipulation of both, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and very few games let you manipulate time. And, you know, Even in time reversal, it's kind of a similar concept you have to change absolutely everything in the game to accommodate for that and whether it's technical issues with like visual things um when they slow down they become really intense or different or whether it's the gameplay in terms of how fluid you know if if we add a force that shoots you upwards from a mushroom how does that get changed based on the rate of time because you know uh, speed and, and, and acceleration are all based on time, so we need to accommodate for those things. Yeah, it is one of the core mechanics of Sherwood Extreme, so it's something that we always have iterated on since day one. Yeah. And that even includes the, the, the user interface, you know. Um, the cinematic black bars was something we added, uh, I can't remember, when, several months ago. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that really kind of helped us make into this, like, Michael Bay sort of experience. And <laughs> It's really just iterating on this and never forgetting that this is one of our core mechanics and always giving it the love it deserves. Absolutely. And for any listener that is struggling to envision, we've talked about bullet time, we've talked about zip lines, uh, and and any other number of things, all with kind of this Robin Hood aesthetic. You're still not picturing it properly because this game is nuts. There are explosions all over the place. Uh, It is an art style that... In my, it's very bright and colorful, but it reminds me of what I would think a good-looking Sega Saturn game would would look at. This like polygonal uh, element, you know, if 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 the ability to to make them not look blocky back in the day would be. Uh, this this 
art style that you guys have gone with really has a lot of character. Yeah, that's something that um, it's an interesting observation how it, like it ties it back to some of those retro games as well. And mm -hmm. really what we were going for the whole time is something where you're taking a retro feel with the low poly, the polygonal kind of style, and then mm -hmm. tying it in with all the modern tech, like you've got the explosions and the different uh, like blurs and particles that are exploding. So it gives it kind of that modern twist to it. So it's something that you wouldn't necessarily see back in the day, but it gives you that, it reminds you of that. And that's also tied in with like the mechanics of the game, you know, collecting shinies is something that we kind of got a little bit from like Crash or Spyro. And mm -hmm. um, so it has like the, the retro feel in the gameplay as well and ties in with the art style with the explosions and the high speed action twist. There's, there's all these cool, I guess, elements of technology. I'm looking at airships and then you're, you're uh, running with a chicken jetpack at one point and then you're <laughs> whipping around, landing on a horse all while your crown is on your head. Uh, again, I go back to my previous statement. This game is nuts. It looks crazy cool and like it's an absolute blast but in creating these levels uh you had to to factor in a lot of different types of platforming while keeping kind of your physics in mind uh how long would a typical level take you guys to build it really depends on what we're kind of going for um you know with the the earlier levels they're the game kind of grows in scale um, mm -hmm. as the levels progress. So the earlier levels are a little smaller and more linear um, because that's where we're really teaching the player about these traversal mechanics. And mm -hmm. it's more so a question of design of what do we want the player to understand and learn from this level. And that's where a lot of the iteration comes in is thinking how do we combine you know, the mushrooms, the swing ropes, the cannons, the... The, tr the springboards, the zip lines, absolutely everything. And going back and seeing, well, what are we planning on doing in later levels? And what can we take from previous levels that we started with and then can then elaborate upon and make things more complex and bigger and better? So it, it really, for kind of our main six levels that we have um, outside of the horde mode, those, I mean, have kind of always been in production as we've been adding new mechanics, new features, new traversal, and all of that. Um, mm -hmm. Horde mode, which is our kind of our newest addition in terms of levels, um, that took us, you know, several months to make because of all the different mechanics mm -hmm. that kind of went into that, the different scoring method, the different leaderboard, the different user interface. Um, I mean, there's, there's minute differences in AI and, you know, because they're, they're trying to accomplish a different task in horde mode than they are in their in the other six levels. Yeah, the, the, there's like a, a common joke that I see with game development, or not even a joke. It's like a it's a real thing, which is like someone will say, "Oh, how long does it take to make a character for a game?" And you'll say, "Oh, the game's in development for three years. It takes three years to make that character." And <laughs> it is because it's such an iterative process that like you know the the first four levels. I remember Gabriel created the first four levels in like a weekend. Um, he was just like cranking it out, super inspired, and made them, but even to this day we're continuing to change them as we add new mechanics like cannons were something that came in partially through development where you can like launch yourself through a cannon so then we retroactively go back and change the levels even as we add new levels like Gabriel saying that oh wait this new level really utilizes this mechanic a lot and then we go back to earlier levels and maybe tutorialize it a bit more and things like that so for a free-to-play game that's gonna we're gonna be continuing to develop we're definitely gonna be going back and changing the levels tuning them for speedrunners, adding new paths and things like that. And, and that's a, kind of the cool part about this is that because we're going to continue to support this game um, through the community and, you know, listening to our, our feedback on our Discord and all that, um, and through the forums on Steam and everything, I mean, we check, we, we scour the internet for this feedback. That means that these levels are kind of never done. Um, they're, they're, they're done when the community says so. And I have a, a strong feeling that that's never going to be the case because the community is always going to want something different, better, cooler, more awesome. And that's what we're here for. You guys mentioned free to play. And right now you're available on, on uh, Steam at the moment. And at the time we're recording uh, to any listener, uh, it's been out for roughly a week. And you guys have talked about that feedback. You've been out for a week. How, how much has, have, has gone through your minds in reading the feedback from players, getting their hands on it? Uh, and what have you thought about changing or decided to change? It's a tough question, I suppose. 
Yeah, I mean, we did start the development for the game just over a year ago, and I think we started collecting feedback pretty much in the, like, about six months after we launched. We had, like, our first beta and started collecting feedback and iterating it from there, and just with the the recent early access launch, it just increased our player base a lot. A lot more people are coming in, giving feedback and stuff. And just as we'd hoped, you know, people are coming up with their own ideas, their own uh, grievances and suggestions and praise. And, uh, you know, we take all that into account very much to heart. Even the idea for co-op, for example, was something that our community voted on. Um, so it's uh, it's really awesome to see the feedback that's been coming in so far, and we really want to do it justice and, and make the game that people want to play. Yeah, it's it's really fun to to get feedback for us because we've been doing this for quite a long time now. I mean, Slur and I have been making games for over a decade together um, back in, you know, when we started in high school. And it's kind of like a really big part of making games is getting this feedback and what do people think about it and these reviews. And it's, it's like Slur said, it's really important to act on that feedback. But for us, it's like kind of the, the pinnacle of, of what we're going for. Like the fact that we're getting feedback in and of itself is amazing. And that's, what's kind of motivating us to keep acting on it. And I mean, our, in our week one patch, I think we addressed like three or four different community suggested features, um, you know, that were, you know, small enough that we were able to put them in a patch, but were great ideas that we just hadn't thought of. And, and that's the idea is we just take as much great information from our community and, the grain of salt comes from our ideas, really, not theirs, because we know what we don't know what they want. They know what they want, right? And we can just try and develop the best thing we can imagine for them, and then they give us the the extra push to really come through with it. Can I tell you how heartwarming it is to hear you guys talk about feedback that way? Uh, it is, I suppose, in, in the social media space, it's particularly in gaming. It, it can be such a toxic or difficult thing to navigate. And to hear that you guys are soliciting feedback and enjoying getting it uh, is is a wonderful thing to hear because I think sometimes uh, the positives can get drowned out, as it were. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I remember just a couple days after launch or something, I'm just always checking, you know, YouTube, Googling Sherwood Extreme, see it on Twitch. Some people will be streaming, I'll hop in and be like, oh, hey, how are you enjoying the game? They're like, oh. Well, I, I didn't expect it, but it's actually pretty fun. I'm having a lot of fun with it. And like, oh, I, do you want to play co-op? I can join in or something. And then I'll like later tell them that I'm a developer. And like I'm asking, oh, what do you think about this? Do you have any ideas for this? And they're like, wow, I'm completely blown away. I've never seen a developer interact with the gamers like this. They're usually so closed off and toxic or whatever. Um, but really, it's because we love it. And also, like our whole vision for this game is like to create this positive community where like you'll see a lot of games... Um, you know, not to mention any names. But yeah, like we won't mention legends. Names. <laughs> <Or something. laughs> but, but it's right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean, there, you know, there's a lot of games that are really great. They have like, you know, you make friendships over them and stuff. But, you know, there's still a lot of toxic people that, that you know, because you're trying so hard to win and, and sometimes things don't go wrong. People are blaming each other and it creates this hostility. And sometimes, you know, you go on a losing streak and you feel really bad about it. And we wanted to create an experience. Everything that we do for Sherwood Extreme is to make something that players feel really good about. Even like, you know, we create co-ops so people are working together. It's really hard for you to like sabotage each other in co-op. It's like almost everything you do is helping each other. And mm -hmm. even the competitive aspects that we have, like leaderboards and stuff, they end up bringing people together to share strategies and stuff on our Discord. So we really want people to be coming together to be helping each other and like, like feeling good about it and not feeling like, oh, I, I wanted to kill this guy or whatever, you know? Certainly. <laughs> Certainly. The the choice to go free to play in the in, in the Steam marketplace uh, versus in the console space, which is where I'll get to have those co-op moments and get to mess with my friends and uh, develop those strategies. Going free to play is a big choice. Does that change the way you guys design the game? Not really as much as you know, you would think, um, for us, it, it changes the way, you know, we maybe give certain, uh, like rewards and stuff. But that, the thing is everything in the game is free, the mm -hmm. levels, the weapons, anything at all that would affect 
what you could get on the high score or the availability of the content. None of that is kind of held back in free to play for, from our kind of perspective Mm -hmm. of like how we have implemented it. Um, I know a lot of games that can be dicey, but for us, we just really want this game to be in the hands of as many players as possible. And it's all about a positive community and having everyone enjoy the game. And if they want to spend money, they can, but Mm -hmm. it'll never uh, spending money will never affect um, their competitive advantage um, on the leaderboard or, or even, you know, they won't be able to buy like rule benders or anything like that. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's really just about having fun. And if you want to support the developers, um, you know, you can, you can, uh, throw us, throw us a couple bucks and buy us a coffee, um, and get some really cool items in the meantime. Yeah. The only real difference design wise is that like free to play games often is kind of synonymous with like an ongoing game. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, you know, obviously we, we don't want any pay to win. We want it to all like feel like it's free and like you're getting the full thing out of it. Um, but it is with the the uh, idea in mind that people can always be coming back to it and playing it day after day um, for, you know, as long as we continue to develop it. And from that perspective, we try to add a lot of different ways for people to continue to play and enjoy it, whether it's, you know, finding the different paths or exploring the different levels, getting new scores on the leaderboards. And then there's like, you know, things you can collect, chickens you can collect in the levels, um, different, uh, we're going to be adding different achievements to get. And um unlocking prestige levels and things like that so trying to create a game that has a lot of longevity is something that we did especially for free to play well listed under the the features of the game you guys have things like shinies and outfits weapons Mm -hmm. uh, and whatnot uh and then you know you're mentioning like maybe throw a couple bucks your way buying yourselves uh, or buying a, a coffee for you guys on no less than five occasions i've had listeners write into the show uh, about interviews that we've had with with people working on free to play games where they wanted to support they wanted to pay for uh, for the game and i'd do the same thing in sea of thieves or a few other of my, my uh, evergreen titles because we want to support those developers uh, if we are buying you know different types of cosmetics or nothing you know to change the game uh, what types of things are available outside of chickens i suppose <laughs> Yeah, so the basically we have like a fully customizable kind of character system. Mm-hmm. Um, there's you know character skins or avatars, um, however you want to you know call them. Um, every character comes with like multiple variations, uh, so you can kind of pick your favorite one. Um, and hats, as well as like crazy like what do we call it? Flare. Um, it's just kind of like having crazy <laughs> items on your shoulder, like a parrot or a milkshake or, you know, a basketball or whatever. Um, you know, so the hats, the flare, the capes, um, those are actually really cool because they're they're uh, like physics cloth. Um, so mm-hmm. like when you're going at top speed in the levels, those are like fla- flapping in the wind behind you. Um, and uh, and then so, yeah, just a lot of customization options, basically, in terms of how you look and expressing expressing your character and being wacky and ridiculous that's so much fun that is so much fun and you are darn sure that i will have a cape on my robin hood looking character uh just for kicks (laughs) just for kicks oh yeah there's golden capes fiery capes uh, tattered cloaks there's i think there's do we have an electric guitar? I believe so. Like, oh, there's, yeah. And we consider yeah. that a cape because it goes on your back. But <laughs> yeah, there's like um, horse heads and chicken heads. Yeah, and, and just we like too. to go absolutely nuts with this stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can I cannot wait for this to get to consoles. That's going to be such a blast. Now, you guys, and you said it very quickly, and I absolutely took note and looked it up while you were speaking. Uh, you guys said you've been making games together since high school, but you've been in the industry for over a decade when i pull up cage studios uh there are three of you listed on the team salar gabriel and uh your producer minul kahari is that correct yes uh, yeah minhol is has uh, been with us for years now um and uh, minhol and salar are actually brother and sister yeah, so she's it's been kind with of me been for a, my entire years yeah so <laughs> they've kind of been working together since day one that's so cool so you guys uh have been working in in the industry for such a long time Uh, that has to be a great cool feeling most days yeah yeah it really is i mean for sure like and uh, that's i'm not being sarcastic when i say that like we live and die by this stuff Mm -hmm. 
absolutely being genuine when I say that. Like, I lose sleep over this, and I sleep better when it's going well, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, Gabriel and I have both been... We started making games on our own um, when we were in grade school. Like, when I was seven years old, I, like, programmed my first game. And Gabriel, similarly, he, he created his own, like, Dungeons & Dragons-type game when he was, like, really young. And so then when we met in high school... Um, we met in Egypt. We went to high school in Egypt together, and mm-hmm. we just uh, hit it off because both of us were, were making games, and we're like, we never knew anyone at that point who had like been making games, and we just started making them together, and we, it got more and more complex, you know, more and more experience, and to the point where we started making them commercially, and um, yeah, it's it's it, the journey is just so much fun. Every day we're so grateful to be able to work on things that we love, and we never take that for granted. Yeah. And honestly, on, on kind of a more personal note, um, like you could imagine that some nerdy uh, coder kids were uh, uh, had some some issues making friends, maybe. And, and when Salar uh, tapped me on the shoulder um, and said, "Hey, it's your birthday, right?" And then I said, "Yeah." And you know, I didn't really have many friends back then. And he he kind of he kind of came into my life and. I literally, I swear that night we were working in Blender on a really crappy 3D game together. Um, <laughs> the first day we hung out and, you know, it's for me, game development goes beyond just like trying to make games or, or forget like selling them. Like this is what we've been doing together for as long as I can remember. And it almost feels like we were doing it together before then too, because we were doing it individually kind of in the same way. So it, it really like warms my heart to know that we've been doing this for so long and it really goes beyond just trying to like get a job or have a career or whatever. It's, this is like, this is to me, I know this is who I am. And for Solar, I feel like that's, that's the case as well, you know? Um, yeah, definitely. You could not have put a bigger smile on my face in hearing that. <laughs> Absolutely could not be uh, more thrilled to just kind of hear those feel-good stories. That is that is my favorite part about interviews like this. So thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Did you guys have to change your development or, uh, I suppose, approach to uh, creating through the pandemic? I mean, it's indie studios sometimes uh, have go into a studio. Sometimes it's work from home anyway. How did that guy impact your development? Um, it wasn't too different, I would say. Um, we we, we were, uh, don't live in the same city right now, so mm-hmm. we were kind of working remotely regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, just obviously in a, on a personal level, it changed our lives a lot, changed everybody's sure. lives. So trying to you know adjust the workflow for like, every day you're being at home it's kind of different than like working from home sometimes so just really personally adjusting and being um you know adaptable to each other's situations and being there for each other and always reminding ourselves and each other that like you know we're trying to make this game we have deadlines we have goals but we're doing this because we love it and because we care about each other and we're not going to sacrifice anybody's well-being for like the deadline that we're trying to hit so um, just on a personal level, really trying to be there. But logistically, in terms of working from home and stuff like that, um, we were kind of already used to that. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. kind of to elaborate on that, I think what's what it's exactly what Solar said. Like, it it doesn't change how you work on the computer, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's a computer's anywhere, really. But it it did change, you know, how we kind of perceive kind of each other's mental health and stuff because. The first month or two, you know, we didn't, nobody knew what they were doing, um, including us, right? And, oh, you know, we have so much free time now that we work from home or, you know, don't have to leave the house or anything like that. Um, It really helped, like, opened our eyes to be like, you know, there's, there are more important things than, like Slar said, hitting a deadline or, or just trying to get it done. Like, we can't make games unless we're, passionate about it and motivated for it and basically finding that equilibrium and that balance in the COVID times, you know, definitely took a little while, but I feel like we really grew as a team together and we're able to kind of be more responsible for each other's well-being, like Salar said. That's awesome. That's awesome, guys. Well, 
you're you're out now on Steam Early Access. You're coming to consoles uh, later on this year. You're projected for Q4, provided things go well. Uh, what types of things go into creating or, or a- adapting your game uh, for the console space, Xbox specifically, if possible? Sure. Um, the big part of it is full controller support. Um, we want the game to run. You know, you don't have a mouse option when you're playing on a console. So right now we have the main experience be with the mouse and stuff. And we allow controllers to play it for gameplay, but really making sure that all the menus and all the experience feels really good for your controller. When you hit the start button, you get exactly what you're expecting out of it. Um, and then uh, just like adapting specifically for Xbox, you know, Xbox achievements and gamer score and all of that is really uh, important. And I mean, I grew up playing Xbox and stuff, so I, I, I really... Uh, value the kinds of different ways that the Xbox tries to have the connection between games and stuff. Um, also, just uh, making sure that all our, our servers and our, our multiplayer is supported through the different consoles that we release on and um, having the, the, the full experience in for the better Xbox, newest generation Xbox yeah, consoles. That's, that's going to be a really cool thing that I'm super excited about that we're working on is the... Uh the next generation kind of tech we get to leverage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're talking about 4K. Um, there may or may not be ray tracing available depending on what we do. You know, we work with Unreal Engine 4, so we have a lot of tech that we can leverage. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of there's a lot of different stuff we're leveraging right now to make it look really crisp, but feel like the gameplay of a retro game. Um, it's kind of like the retro feel with the updated 2021 graphics you know mm-hmm. um and we're just really excited to kind of push that even even further with like the high resolution and all that kind of 60 stuff fps stuff. yeah yeah oh that's... definitely 60 frames at least um on the next generation <laughs> that's um, so cool yeah we don't we don't sacrifice frames for anything so that's a box quote right there we don't sacrifice frames for anything gabe do it <laughs> that's the one that's the one. I'm calling Ryan right now. I'm bringing him back in. That's the box quote. Put it there. Put it there. Oh, man. Guys, that's the coolest. This has been an absolute joy. I am so thrilled to see uh, how your game continues to do in Steam. And I know listeners right now, if you're multi-console or your PC player as well, absolutely give this one a look. Free to play. Check it out. Um, I'm so stoked to see what happens with the console release as well uh please 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 jump in and tell anybody uh where they should be going to find out more about your game if there's anything that you'd like to share about it that maybe we didn't cover uh take the floor uh for anything that we might have missed yeah we're, we're continuing to develop Sherwood extreme through early access we want to hear your feedback and all whether you you played it on pc or even just like if you took a look at it and you're like oh this looks cool when it comes to xbox i, I would love to see this or that um the best place to do that is our discord we have an active discord community where we're always chatting uh, sharing different ideas and just wishing each other well in these trying times and um and the other place being steam Right now we are, we are available on PC. If you want to sh- check it out, play it. It's free. You'll have fun, and um, we're all open, super open to hearing about your experience and making it the game that you want to play. Yeah. So just to summarize that, hit up Steam if you want to play it for free on PC today, and you can check out the Steam page for any information, uh, our trailers, screenshots, anything like that, and join our Discord if you want to be a part of our community and share the love and share the experience. Yeah, and we'll also be doing monthly, uh, monthly-ish uh, season updates, which will include big features and new levels and game modes and stuff like that. And free uh, new so cosmetics. To that. Yes. Salar Kohari, Gabe Longlua, I appreciate you guys so much for joining me. Thank you guys for coming on. Our Thank pleasure. You, Luke. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thank you.